Well, good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to this first installment in a new series for a new year. We've calling it Fresh Start, and it would be appropriate at the beginning of 2016 here if we all wished each other a happy new year. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, happy new year? Would you do it right now? Happy new year. Yeah, and you know what's great about one of the things that makes a new year happy is we get a fresh start. I had a friend of mine grab me last week. He said, finally got a resolution. I can keep this next year. I'm going to gain 10 pounds. I can do that one. I can do it. I don't think that's the idea behind resolutions, though. I think the idea behind resolutions is that, hey, we get a fresh start of the new year to do something that we've always wanted to do. And that's the idea behind this whole series. You and I, uh, we're going to look at some things over the next few Sundays together, how to have a fresh start with God, a fresh start with our spouse, a fresh start with our kids, fresh start with our past, a fresh start with our future. Because God wants us to have a fresh start, and I hope you do this year as we get into 2016. Some of us, we've been looking forward to this. It's been on our calendar for a while. Some of us just kind of crash landed into this weekend. Holidays are over, and now we're just kind of, the smoke is kind of clearing from everything. We're going, okay, now what? However you came here today, though, I hope that today will be a real challenge to you and me, that God wants us to have fresh starts. And today's day is is as good as any, and I hope we'll take advantage of it. Let me have a word of prayer for us, and we'll jump right in. Lord, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to have a new year, a new calendar, a new chance to have a fresh start with you. I pray that you'll speak and you'll move me out of the way and teach us some things from your word that remind us of exactly that. At the beginning of this year, as we start out, if you'd like the Lord to speak to you today, would you say, Lord... Would you challenge me in something? Would you grow me in something? I want to be challenged this year. I want to grow. So speak to me today. Well, Lord, you love it when we pray that. Give us ears to listen. And again, Lord, move me out of the way. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Hey, if you need a pen to fill in the blanks, just raise your hand. One of the ushers will bring one to you. There's an insert inside of your bulletin that has some blanks in it. I hope you'll fill it out and take some notes on it. I hope this will be a really helpful outline to help us Uh, have a fresh start with the new year. First of all, the big thing I want to remind us of is this, that the Bible is filled with stories of people who needed a fresh start with God. We're talking about a fresh start with God today. And occasionally I meet with people and they go, ah, my life's too messed up. God doesn't want to fool with me. I go, you're so wrong. The Bible is filled with stories. I'll just pick three of them, three different kinds of people who might need a fresh start uh, that would represent three kinds of people here today. Uh, and the first one is King David. So the first blank on your outline is King David. The guy who, when he was a teenager, killed Goliath, a giant, with just a sling and a stone because he trusted that God would guide the stone like a missile, and God did, and he prevailed. And so David became known as a man who trusted God, a man after God's own heart. He wrote a huge number of the Psalms. He was a great king, and he loved God with all of his heart. And then one day after he became king, he allowed sin to come into his life. He lusted after another man's wife. The palace was the tallest building in Jerusalem. And in those days, if you wanted privacy, you went on the roof of your house and he was overlooking Jerusalem. He saw a woman bathing. He should have turned away. She was very beautiful and he did not. And he had an affair with her, even though he knew she was the wife of one of his soldiers. His soldiers had gone off to war to defend him and protect his kingdom. And one of his more valiant soldiers He took his own wife, took that man's wife, and had an affair with her. Well, she became pregnant, and then ordered to cover that up, he ordered the man to be sent to the front lines where he was killed in the heat of battle. And then in a public show of mercy for this poor widow who was expecting, he took her into his own palace. 
Well, he may have fooled some of the people, but he didn't fool God. And so a prophet was sent by God, a prophet by the name of Nathan. And he came to David and he said, God saw the whole thing. You committed murder and adultery. He gave you everything. And this is how you repay him? And so this is what David said in Psalm 51. Purify me from my sins and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Because his heart felt black with sin, just covered with, smudged with sin. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Would you circle that, please? And would you say that phrase with me, please? Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. One more time. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Those are a few verses from Psalm 51. And so the first kind of person in the Bible who needed a fresh start was a person who blew it. David blew it. He had everything going his way. God had blessed him. He knew what God expected of him. And he blew it. Did God have mercy on him? Oh yeah, God forgave him. And God can forgive you too. If you're here this morning, you blew it in 2015, you need a fresh start, you think God won't forgive you? Yeah, he will. And if that's good news this morning, would you say amen? amen? Yeah, this is the good news we want to pass on to people. God forgives sinners. We'll hit more about that later. So that was King David. Secondly, here's the Apostle Paul, or also known as Saul of Tarsus. He was a man who wrote most of the New Testament. So if you were going to read letters to the Philippians or the Ephesians or the Colossians. They were all written by Paul, Paul's letter to the Romans. We have all of his writings there, and they're profound, and they're wonderful. What many of us don't realize is, though, that Paul didn't start out as somebody who was an eager follower of Christ. He was just the opposite. He was a religious terrorist. He was. Now, in the days long before ISIS, okay, Paul was a part of a, a group that hated Christians and wanted to stamp them out. They didn't have anybody kneel on a beach and cut their head off. What they did is they did have people kneel and they beat them to death with stones if they professed faith in Christ. Paul dragged people out of people's homes, let them off to prison for being a Christian. Paul wanted them wiped out. And so he was a zealot, uh, trained in the strictest sect of all the Pharisees, the um, the, mo the people who were mo had most zeal for the teaching of the New Testament, and they saw Jesus as a threat to their existence and his followers as a horrible cult that they needed to exterminate. So Paul got orders from the chief priests in Jerusalem to go to Damascus, Syria. Jerusalem today is pretty much where Jerusalem was then, and Damascus today is pretty much where Damascus was then. Only in those days, Damascus was a major trade hub. There were caravans that came from all over the known world. And Paul and the other priests, uh, the chief priests, realized that, hey, if Christianity takes root there, well, my goodness, Christians could go all over the world. So we've got to go wipe this out. So Paul had orders to go and arrest Christians, any Christians he found in Damascus, bring them back to Jerusalem. They'd either be put in prison or they'd be sentenced to death. Well, on the way there, Paul was blinded by a light from heaven. And Jesus appeared to him and said, Paul, you need to stop persecuting me and my followers. In fact, I'm going to make you a missionary that goes out and tells the good news around the world. As much as you've hated me, now you're going to proclaim the good news about me. And Paul was stunned because he had never counted on Jesus really being the Son of God. And so for three days, it says, after the, 
he'd had this vision. He sat in silence, didn't eat or drink anything, and the vision left him blinded. And that's where we jump into the story here in your outline from Acts chapter 9. In Damascus, where he was, there was a man named Ananias, and here's what happened. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now, and I have shown him in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done. Please underline that. What kind of a man was Paul? Well, Ananias said, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. He's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and he found Saul and he laid his hands on him. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me to you so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. And then Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues and saying, he is indeed the son of God. And all who heard about him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to, leading, to the leading priests? So you know who Paul was? He was uh, David was someone who blew it. Paul was someone who was lost, who was evil. Do you know that God wants to give fresh starts to lost people? People that we would act like Ananias, Lord, not him, not her. Ananias, why don't you go pray for that guy? Lord, no, no, not him. But he came to arrest people like me. Are you sure this is safe? Yeah, go. Now, sometimes we are tempted to think that God doesn't love lost people. He does. And sometimes we are so quick to give up on praying for our friends and our neighbors and people who are far from God. How do we know that God doesn't have a great plan for them? This is why it's so important, by the way, that you and I pray for the people who are bound up in ISIS right now. How do we know that God isn't going to touch the hearts of one of them, that, they could become, that he could become an Apostle Paul for the very people who are torturing Christians now? It happened before. And sometimes you and I, we give up on God long before we even think through the statement. Isn't it good news that God doesn't give up on us? I hope it is. That's the good news we want to proclaim, that God gives a fresh start to people who blow it. God gives a fresh start to lost people, even evil people, like Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament. Hmm. And then there's Peter. He needed a fresh start. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. The night before Jesus was crucified, he gathered his disciples together for the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion. And after the meal was over, or during the course of the meal, the Lord made it plain to all the disciples, hey, I want you guys to know something, that um, all of you are going to desert me tonight. I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of the chief priests, and you're all going to desert me. And Peter stood up and said, not me, Lord. Though everybody else fails you, you can count on me. 
And the Lord said, Peter, truth is, before the rooster crows in the morning, you will have denied me three times. And that's where we jump into the action. Peter, Jesus certainly was arrested, just as he said. He was taken to the home of the high priest, and he was put on trial there in the middle of the night. There were people who gathered in the courtyard of the high priest's home to kind of listen and see what was going on. There was a crowd forming there. And Peter, who had snuck off when Jesus was arrested, came back in and stood in the courtyard. While he was there, a servant girl had told him, hey, I think you're one of the followers of Jesus. And Peter had denied it. And then we jump in, so he denied him once right there. We're coming in the second time. We're jumping in here when he denied him a second time. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. Now, you've got to remember, this is pretty intimidating. This is two servant girls coming after him. I mean, this is in one of the other accounts, it says they were warming themselves by a fire. So this is as intimidating as a campfire girl. Okay, anyway, that's what's happening here. And Peter denied it a second time. A little later, some of the other bystanders in the courtyard there came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. And Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. Who needed a fresh start? Oh, I don't know, Peter, a guy who tried and failed. Anybody ever tried to do the right thing and failed at it? Anybody too embarrassed to raise their hand besides me? Okay, good. Okay, that's great. Hey, you know who needs a fresh start? People who blow it, people who are lost, people who try to do the right thing and fail. If this is good news to you so far, would you say amen? Yeah, because here's the way it works. If you flip your outline over, here's a life application. God is in the business of fresh starts. The whole Bible is filled with stories of people who needed a fresh start. That's why it's so important that we're beginning this year focusing on reestablishing a relationship with God, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said this, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Would you read that verse with me, please? Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Jesus said, it's like being born again. You get a brand new life. We have a brand new year. It's time to come to Christ. If we blew, if we blew it in 2015, come to Christ. If we've never come to Christ, come to Christ this year. Allow him in. Allow him to guide you along the best pathway for your life. But I tried and failed last year, John. Well, give him your life and surrender it again. Do you know that Peter was restored? The same Peter that denied him three times, Jesus allowed him to say, I love you, Lord, three times. Jesus restored him. Jesus used a lost, evil guy like Paul. Jesus forgave David when he blew it. My friends, there's, there's never been a better time than today to start again with the Lord and to come to him. Paul's talking about it here. Now, in order to start again, to have a fresh start with God, we need to get rid of three misconceptions. These are three, these are not, this isn't exhaustive or anything. These are three misconceptions I hear about God in my office all the time. So 
let me share with you three misconceptions I want to deal with right now. First of all, many people believe that God is getting even with them. God's getting even with me. He wants to punish me. They had a business failure in 2015. And they go, I know why this is happening. It's happening because of what I did in college 27 years ago. I meet people all the time. Oh, I know why I've gotten sick. I've gotten sick because of that shady business deal, you know, 15 years ago. That's why this is happening to me. And people believe this. They really do. I hear this more than you would think. And if you think that, think again. Listen to what the scripture says. This is Ezekiel 33. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure. Please underline that. No pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. Turn, turn from your wickedness, O people of Israel. Why should you die? And what he brings up there in Ezekiel is what is clear all throughout the Bible. The Lord does indeed punish us, and in the, but he wants us to repent. The word repent means turn. If you could put in the margin a little U-turn symbol, that's what it means to repent, to turn around, to stop going the wrong way. Now, a couple of verses I didn't have room for. If you could write Psalm 103 in there, that would really help. Also, Hebrews 12. In both of these passages, what you find is the Lord treats us as a father treats his children. He disciplines his children. I disciplined my children, but I didn't long to punish them. I corrected them so the bad behavior would stop, so they'd stop going the wrong way. And this is what the Bible tells us. Well, John, didn't God punish his people in the Old Testament? Yes, after he sent them warning after warning after warning after warning, and they wouldn't turn. Look, you've seen the guy holding up the card at a football game that says John 3.16, which he's hoping everybody will go and then look in the Bible for that little summary statement that tells us about God's great love, that God loved the world so much he gave his only son so whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's great, and I hope we all look it up. I hope we all commit that to memory. But you know what the verse right after it is? This is John 3, 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He could have condemned us easily. That wasn't the point. Jesus didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us. Look, if we are suffering through the consequences of a sinful action, that makes perfect sense. But sometimes what I'm talking about here is this misconception, like I said, of people who have something that's completely unrelated. Can you imagine... If one of my kids now who's moved off, my oldest son is married, living in another city, and can you imagine one day if his car got vandalized, somebody slashed his tires or something like that, if he was sitting there going, hmm, I think that was dad from that time I didn't mow the lawn when I was in sixth grade. Can you imagine if you thought that? People would go, why are you thinking that? And if I had really done that, you'd say, you need to go arrest that guy. That's not good parenting. The issue out of punishment years later that's completely unrelated, has no basis on this. It's not the way God works. We know that, that an earthly father would be a terrible person if he did that. Well, why would we put that on God? Let me tell you how it works many times, though, in our lives. In 2015, we might have had friends come to us. We might have heard a message about this. We might have had some different situations come to mind where somebody was dealing with our temper and a friend confronted us about our temper and then we, had a, we heard a message about controlling your temper and temper, 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 temper. And we go, God, I don't know what you're trying to tell me. <laughs> Work on your temper! I'll give you a fresh start! That's the way God works. He warns us because he wants us to repent. 
He's like a father lovingly disciplining his children. So don't ever believe that God's just trying to get even with us. Nothing could be farther from the truth. He loved the world so much he sent his son to save us. Point B, another misconception is that God doesn't care about me. If you went through a hard time this last year, it's easy for the devil to tempt us to think that God doesn't care about us. He's given up, and maybe he cares about other people who doesn't care about me. That's where the people were in Israel after they'd been taken captive in Babylon. Now, never mind the fact that for hundreds of years, God had sent prophets and warnings, prophets and warnings, prophets and warnings, calling back, turn, turn from your sin or punishment will come. Turn, turn from your sin or punishment will come. But they didn't listen. And so punishment came. Their whole nation was basically ransacked by the Babylonians, and a number of them were taken captive in Babylon. And there, many people said, now God has given up on us. And the prophet Isaiah had a word from the Lord for them. The Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us, the Israelis in Babylon said. Never. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you, said the Lord. Hebrews 13, 5, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. This is the Lord speaking again. And the writer of Hebrews was quoting Deuteronomy 31.6. Old Testament and New, the Lord will never leave us or forsake us. What he wants us to do is he wants us to repent and come back to him. It's kind of like the story of a couple in their 70s. They had purchased a car when they were dating. And they'd always hung on to it through the years and fallen into disrepair. And, but they, the guy had restored it. And now they were out taking it for a drive. It had one of these big bench seats all the way across. And they were out driving through the countryside and... Uh, they've been married now 50 years and his wife said to him do you remember when we were dating how we used to just sit right close to each other and went for a drive and the husband looked over and said I hadn't moved okay I mean you can think about that okay well he hadn't moved and sometimes we can do that with God we can say God doesn't care about me God doesn't know where I am well God hadn't moved and if we look back over the last year hey I wasn't reading my Bible I wasn't praying. I wasn't attending worship anywhere. I wasn't a part of a meaningful small group. I didn't deal with things when they came up. How come I feel so far from God? Well, God hasn't moved. God hasn't left us or forsaken us. Many times, if we're honest with ourselves, we can go, I left and I forsook him. And if it's good news to you that God forgives us, even when we do that, would you say amen? the way he is. Finally, one other misconception I want to deal with here. God only helps those who help themselves. Do you know that like, there was a Barna research poll. It's like 70, 80% of Americans believe that's in the Bible. It's not. Um, sometimes somebody asks you where it is in the Bible, just answer them Philistines 3 or something like that. I don't know. That's not a real book of the Bible. But anyway, uh, but the whole idea behind it is I need to get my life right before I come to God. God only helps those who help themselves by the way, where it did appear was in Poor Richard's Almanac in 1736. Ben Franklin put that in there. Okay? It's not scripture. Do you know what the Bible says? Here's what the Bible says. This is 1 Timothy 1, written by Paul, that former religious terrorist. Here's what he wrote. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Underline that and then say it with me, please. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. One more time. 
Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he went on to say, and I am the worst of them all. Imagine a guy who's writing the New Testament, telling people about Jesus, and he has the memories of how he dragged people away from their families, how he stood there and hold the coats for people as Stephen was stoned to death, the first martyr for the Christian faith. And then you go, well, why would he even mess with you, Paul? Why would he go, why would he even bother to go after a guy who is as lost and as evil as Paul? And Paul answers it right here. But God had a mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. And so if you think you're too far gone and God can never use you, you might be the best living example of God's grace that your friends will ever see. Well, he can save John Schmidt, he can save anybody. So come to Christ. Paul said, that's why he saved me. He wanted me to be a chosen instrument. So that nobody could ever look at me and say, God can't save lost evil people because I was the worst one. God is not out to destroy us and punish us. He wants us to repent. God does know exactly where we are. He has never left us or forsaken us. We've left him. And my friends, God helps people who need help. If you need help, if you need forgiveness, if you need a fresh start, come to Jesus. He's open all day long, 24-7, 365 this year. So in order to have a fresh start with God, we need to get rid of those misconceptions. Now thirdly, in order to have a fresh start with God, we need a right relationship with Him. I want to spend a little bit of time on this too. If you and I are going to um, start and get a right relationship, it starts with repentance. And we come to Him and say, hey God, I've been way off. Like David said, created me a clean heart. But the other thing we need is we need communication. Now, God is a person. He's not a human being, but we're creating his image with a mind and will and emotions. And God has those things. He wants to communicate to us. That's why he gives us his word. All scripture is inspired by God. This is Paul again. Inspired by God, it's useful to teach us what's true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And so if you and I are going to have a relationship and have communication with God, well, then there's two important things. We need to listen and we need to talk. So, and make sure if you're married, you get those in the right order in that case too. Listen first, then talk. Ladies, can I hear amen for your husband? Yeah, there we go. Okay, guys, you heard it from them. Okay, we need to listen and then we need to talk. And the way it works in the Christian life is this. If we want a relationship with God, God speaks to us through the Bible. He wants us to speak to him through prayer. I listen to God, what he tells me through the Bible. This is why every year when we talk about getting a fresh start with God, as we get going here at the beginning of this year, I hope you'll notice the insert in your bulletin about how to get a Bible reading plan on your phone or your computer or your tablet, wherever. It's free. And I hope you'll take advantage of this. Because God wants to speak to us every day. We have a brand new year here. It's only January 3rd. And if we have, the chan- we have a chance to start right now every day and say, God, I'm going to give you a few minutes at the start of my day. And I'm going to listen to you. But then God also wants us to speak to him. 
Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. This is Philippians 4, 6. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. That's prayer. Now, the one thing I want to clarify here is, is this. I want to relate the two because many times people put a hard wall between them. Even if we start reading the Bible, we go, and it might be talking about in the Bible about someone we need to forgive. My goodness, I read a passage today. This is the third passage I've read this week about forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. And there's somebody in my life that I need to forgive. Hmm. Then I have a prayer time. Dear Lord, please heal Aunt Gladys of her gallstones. Amen. Okay. Now I want to tell you, if Aunt Gladys has gallstones, you need to pray for her. All right. But before we pray for Aunt Gladys's gallstones, how about if we prayed for the thing that God was speaking to us? What if, as we read the Bible, we reflected on what we read today and said, hey, God, are you speaking to me about something? What if, as a result of even coming here today, you spent some time later today saying, God, I heard some things that I need to deal with this next year. And God, I want a fresh start with you. What if we talked to him about that first? And then we prayed for the other things on our mind. I mean, if I see a friend that I haven't seen in a while, I want to listen to them. If I want to get a relationship restored with them, hey, what's been going on in your life? Tell me about your kids. Tell me about your wife. Tell me about your job. And after I've listened to him for a while, then I tell him, then I wait for him to ask me about my kids and my life. That's the way a good conversation works. Well, what if we did that with God every day? And what if we met with God's people every week? That brings us to the next point. Healthy relationships take priority time. Not only do they take communication, they take priority time. What do I mean by priority time? Here's what I mean by priority time. Does anybody here know when the college football national championship is, when that game's going to be played? Does anybody here know? Raise your hand if you know when that game will be. Wow, I don't think I live in the South. Okay, every one of us knows when this is going to be. And if somebody comes up to you a week from Monday and says, hey, would you come over to my house and play cards? You go, no. No. I'm going to be sitting with a bag of uh, chips right next to the chair, watching my TV with my cell phone ready so I can talk trash to all my friends. Okay? (laughs) I'm ready. That's what I'm doing a week from Monday. And we would say, okay. In fact, if you met a person who claimed to be a serious college football fan and you said that, and you met them next Tuesday after the game's over, you go, well, hey, what did you think about the game last night? And they go, what game? Well, I'm a serious college football fan, but I didn't realize the championship was last night. Ah, right, you're not a fan. You're not because you didn't give it priority time. How do I know if my kids' games are important to me if they show up on the calendar? How do I know if a date with my wife is important to me? It's on my calendar. How do I know if time with God is important to me? It's on my calendar. I'm going to put worship on my calendar this year. I'm going to put quiet times on my calendar this year. I'm going to schedule when I'm going to my small group. If it's a priority, I will. People call you about next Monday night? No, it's already booked. People call me and say, hey, can you do something on Sunday morning? You want to go hit a round of golf on Sunday morning? It's like, well, after I'm done with worship. But this comes first. Are we willing to do that and say, hey, I want a fresh start. This is going to take priority time. Listen to what Jesus did. Mark 1.35, he'd been up late the night before doing ministry. Yet the next morning, before daybreak, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. It was a priority to him. He knew there would be lots of ministry coming at him. And he had to have time with God first. 
I've shared it before, but George Washington, he always had an hour with the Lord first before he had time with his men. If the camp was going to be breaking at 5 a.m., he got up at 4. If the camp was going to break at 6, he got up at 5. He and others believed they had way too much on their plate to not spend time with God. God needed priority time. If he was going to be the leader of his men, then he needed God to be the leader of him. 2016, I want a fresh start. It's going to take communication, listening, and talking to him. Well, how am I going to do that if I don't give it priority time? The creator God of the universe who gives a fresh start to people who blow it, who are lost, who have tried and failed, who give us new strength. Why would I turn that down? Hebrews 10, 24 says why I'm even reminding this, you of this right now. Let's think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let's not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of Jesus' return is drawing near. Jesus is coming back soon, my friends. I don't know how long we have. Let's make this year count. Let's schedule our times with him. If you want a fresh start with God, this is an important part of it. Put it on the calendar. Do it today. You and I will be amazed at the end of the year how far he's taken us. Finally, healthy relationships are built on trust. I know I've got a healthy relationship with you if you trust me and I trust you. It's the same with the Lord. Proverbs 3 reminds us we're to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. We must not depend on our own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. He'll show you which path to take. Will I trust him this year? Will I surrender my future to him? Even if I blew it last year? Even if I tried and failed last year? I can't encourage us enough to come to him and say, Lord, this year I'm recommitting to you. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for a new start of a new year. I thank you for the opportunity for a fresh start. And Father, I pray that none of us would shrink back. I pray that the devil's excuses that you don't love us, you don't know where we are, you're just out to get, get us, and we've blown it too bad, you can never forgive us. Lord, I pray that all those excuses will fall in the ash heap. They will just be lost, useless against us. Because your word makes it clear that you love us, you came into the world to save filthy, rotten sinners. You saved Paul. You forgave Peter. You forgave David. And so, God, we ask that you would forgive us, that you would restore us, and you would give us the strength to make a relationship with you a priority this next year so we could trust you. Trust you with our future and trust you with our time and trust you with direction with our finances. Please guide us. If you'd like a fresh start with God this year, would you just bow your head as your head is bowed right now? Would you say, Lord, I want a fresh start with you. Would you give me the strength to follow through? Forgive me, just like you forgave Peter when he failed. God, I want a fresh start with you. Forgive me for my sins, just like you forgave David when he sinned against you. And Father, would you help me be a witness to many others so they could come to Christ just like Paul did. We pray these things in the name of Christ, the one who promises a fresh start to all who come to him. Amen.